0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Training Camp Edition. We've made it, everyone. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's joining me, as always, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, it's ha- I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy that we have a lot of AFC training camp storylines to go over. But sad day, my friend. The injury bug has finally attacked the NFL, as it does every year, you know, we have, we're trying to go to Mars. We've sent, we've allegedly put people on the moon, yet, Dwayne, we can't cure knee injuries still. Tim Patrick, we don't know. MRI, Broncos fear is going to be serious. Irv Smith, maybe back week one, probably back by week one. He fractured his thumb. You know, hopefully that sick Hulk tattoo is not a big issue. Even Sky Moore is going down to drill, Dwayne. Not a great day to be great for those guys. Hopefully the podcast still will be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I guess we'll touch on some more of those guys as we go through the teams. But yeah, as soon as the pads go on, man, you know how it goes. <sighs> this, is, this is what starts happening. As excited as we get about it, uh, because, you know, that just means we're that much closer to real football. It also uh, the reality of the injuries definitely set in right now.
0: So for today's podcast, Dwayne had two awesome articles go up on PFF.com over the last week. Basically, his top training camp storyline for every AFC team and then the NFC team. So we're going to go through every AFC team today with Dwayne's top storyline. Also, in the meantime, I have gone through every single training camp article from The Athletic. I skimmed it. I didn't read every word. I love it. But, you know, it's fantasy. I focus on the fantasy, guys. Okay. Okay. I got that off my chest. We're good. I did that. I looked through a bunch of the ESPN stuff as well. Also, cannot say enough great things about the 32 Beat Writers Twitter account. At 32 Beat Writers, whoever runs that does a great job. everywhere. Yes, and also the fine folks at NBC Sports Edge, their news page. So I want to give a shout out to all those people for most of the information I was able to get today. So with all that said, Dwayne, let's start off with the Baltimore Ravens. Look, common storyline with a lot of these is going to be the presence of injuries. You know, we we don't really care if a guy caught a touchdown last Tuesday in practice or not. We care are they going to be on the field to catch touchdowns come week 1? Still a lot of questions here in this Baltimore Ravens backfield.
1: Yeah, and I think the easy slam dunk question for the Ravens. And real one quick note, like the way I try to approach most of these, um, if it was a team where I felt like there was a really higher level question that could impact like everyone on the team, I tried to focus on that. Then, you know, you're looking at some of the camp battles, the roles, those sort of things, but also the injuries, you know, like you mentioned. So every team, you know, it's, I, I tried to narrow it down to one, which is awesome because now you have the other, you know, information that we can also quickly touch on, but for the Baltimore Ravens, I do think it's a pretty simple one. Um, you know, when will JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards be ready to play, you know, what we've heard, and even Doug Kide, Put out an article today where he even surveyed, you know, some of the NFL front offices, just trying to check in and like figure out like what's going on with all these injuries. Um, J.K. Dobbins started the, you know, uh, training camp on the pup. He's still on the pup right now, but they do seem to feel optimistic, Ian, that he is going to be, be- that he'll be ready, you know, for week one. But he is coming off of that multi ligament injury. Um, if you look at uh, Mario Pilato's work over on PFF, where he actually went and looked at some of the research that's out there about this. Only thirty percent of the backs that have a multi ligament injury return um, to the full pre to the full season form that they had the year before and the year after the injury. So there's a good chance with Dobbins, even if he's healthy, Ian, we may not see the honestly elite border as you would say borderline erotic <laughs> what we saw from dobbins as a rookie um just you know blew things away from a uh you know from a standpoint of missed tackles force from a yards after contact explosive you six, all those things
0: he averaged six yards per carry we don't even need yeah. to get into those other things like six yards per carry all you need to know there but yeah Dwayne, you put it perfect man it's not it, i mean and that was why he was as effective as he could be, because we've talked about the issue with mobile quarterbacks and the things that have gone yeah. on in Buffalo. So they're scrambling instead of checking down and they become basically another part of the committee near the goal line. So good note here from Ravens beat writer Jameson Hensley in an ESPN article. This is uh, Jameson writing the Ravens top two running backs. Dobbins and Edwards are on the pup list after tearing ACLs last summer. Dobbins is expected to be back by the start of the regular season, but it's uncertain whether he will be at full strength at that point. Edwards is farther behind Dobbins in his recovery and could miss a chunk of the season, bro. It's been all about Dobbins the whole time. Like that was the first time I even kind of saw something of a timeline thrown out there with Gus Edwards. I have not been drafting him for the better part of the last three, four weeks, ever since this started become a little bit more clear that he could also be heavily behind. Only other kind of minor things I saw during. You know, we got a bulked up Lamar Jackson throwing the ball better than ever, apparently. Rashad Bateman flashing, getting every chance as the wide receiver. One, James Prost, number two. Uh, fun quote from Lamar Jackson, calling rookie tight end Isaiah Likely baby Mark Andrews. So really, Dwayne, I think just, again, main thing in Baltimore, it's going to be figuring out this running back room because if it's not Dobbins and Edwards out there, Mike Davis, Tyler Beatty, Justice Hill, this is a situation where, you know, it wouldn't be shocking if they added another free agent or week one's going to get here and it's going to be like, shit, we got to get Mike Davis on the squad for some reason.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I think that's the big one there. Right now, the way I'm honestly approaching Dobbins, though, he goes in round five. Uh, you know, of your redraft formats, which isn't, isn't terrible, but knowing that we've got the injury situation, knowing that we've got a likely committee um, I, I think it's honestly just still too steep, you know, for Dobbins. Like if he slips into round six or seven, Right now, knowing what we know, I think you can be more willing to think about him, you know, in redraft. But right now at round five, man, there's just, you know, we've talked about this before. The quarterbacks, even some of the elite tight ends, uh, like Kittle slips into that range sometimes. Uh, And there's just a lot of receivers, especially if you're drafting over on ESPN or Yahoo, where some of these ADPs haven't caught up and you can get access to Cortland Sutton, Mike Williams, players like that. I'm not taking Dobbins over any of those.
0: For the Buffalo Bills, Dwayne, I feel like you put, you know, a little more detective tone on this blurb. I don't know. <laughs> like you, you're you're a man that usually wears glasses. I, I need to as well when I need to see things further away. So no harm in that. I'm just saying maybe when you're getting, you know, conspiracy Dwayne going, you switch the glasses for sunglasses on the pod. Just just a tip. I don't know. But hey, what, what's your question here for the Bills?
1: Yeah, so it's just really, you know, why were the Bills so adamant about adding the passing down back to the fold? And, you know, is there really a clear number two option behind Stefan Diggs? So if you look at the roster makeup for the Bills, as much as we like Gabe Davis, as, and, and we've even talked about Dawson Knox, neither one of them crushed their underlying talent metrics that we look for, right? They, they both still have profiles that say they could go either way. They could be hits, they could also be complete busts. Like there's a chance of that. And so, knowing that, like, yeah, we know Diggs can get the 30% target share and he could completely eat in this offense, but there's a real chance that behind Diggs, Maybe it's the running backs that get more involved, knowing how heavily Buffalo pursued. And we got additional information last week from Chase Edmonds in an interview that he had talking about how he actually talked to the Bills before he went to the Dolphins. So that's another passing down archetype back that they looked at uh via free agency ultimately they do settle on james cook so the storyline that i'm really following here ian is just really wanting to glean as much as we can and try not to read too much into confirming priors right i mean look at the end of the day right now james cook is easy you can get him in round nine round 10 he's probably the passing down back on a pass heavy offense you honestly don't even need that much more than that you know for the bills offense but if we want to really be able to make sure that he has that role or see if there's potentially an opportunity for two, for him to carve out more work, because I think it's kind of been a foregone conclusion that, oh, he won't get any carries from Devin Singletary. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. It may be true, but that's really what I'm looking for, you know, from the Bills beat reporters, from what we may see in the preseason, especially in the snaps with the starters. And again, those things aren't always conclusive, so we may not have the complete answer here, but I think that is a very important question for the Bills.
0: And there has been a little bit of murmur about Zach Moss also maybe getting involved in this committee, but I don't know. That is one of these training camp storylines that just sounds a little bit like, "Oh yeah, we have th- we have a we have a whole room full of running backs. We like Dwayne. We'll make sure you know they all get their touches, except uh, Duke Johnson, sadly." So. Looking at that, again, James Cook, not overpriced right now. And, uh, you know, the more you kind of talk him up, Dwayne, the more I am coming around to him at cost, particularly in full PPR. The other big storyline has been the performance of Isaiah McKenzie, someone that we were really high on after last season. You know, we saw what he did without Cole Beasley. The Bills got through. Free agency didn't make any real investments, but then they went ahead and did sign Jamison Crowder. They get through the draft, and they don't do anything other than add the day three Boise State – Uh, talent so really with Jamison Crowder I think we kind of figured he would take this starting role for a little bit but now Dwayne we're getting back and it does seem like McKenzie should maybe just maybe be considered the favorite from Sean McDermott himself he said the biggest adjustment for McKenzie is quote-unquote potentially stepping into a full-time role and teams accordingly game planning for him I would note Jamison Crowder hasn't really been practicing because of general soreness. So I don't think he's really had a chance to kind of throw his hat fully into the competition. But at a minimum, Dwayne, we might have underestimated just how much of a chance McKenzie has to lock down that starting slot receiver role, which got Cole Beasley triple digit targets in each of the last three seasons.
1: And we've just seen McKenzie when he's had that chance as just a more explosive player, right, than what we saw with Cole Beasley. So he can potentially do more. Yeah. It pro- probably can't earn quite as many targets as Cole Beasley, right? You know, McKenzie is not the route runner that Cole Beasley is, but you can scheme him up on different types of things. Like you, you can't. It's hard to run with a guy like Isaiah McKenzie from the slot on a crosser, right, running through traffic. So there's just a lot of things that they can do with him. And so I agree. I think this is a really big one. Um, the other note I did see early in camp, I don't know if you saw this, but was that Crowder was actually taking. A few reps outside at the X receiver. Like, (laughs) so that's something else just to kind of keep an eye on. You know, is that potentially is Crowder potentially more of a threat to Gabe Davis. I can't imagine that. I think they need a field stretcher because really Diggs works the intermediate and underneath stuffs, you know, he's the comeback route King. Um, So I feel like you still need a field stretcher out there, but definitely um, Isaiah Isaiah McKenzie, he's moving up. Like, I think he's moved up three, two to three rounds. If I remember correctly, when I was last looking at fantasy mojos data uh, for FFPC drafts. So this is a name that's definitely rising with all the news.
0: Cincinnati Bengals, Dwayne this time last year, it wasn't the Christian McCaffrey's going to get hurt daily Twitter charade. I guess it also was kind of, <laughs> I guess it still was that, but the big man that no one could uh, stop talking about Joe Mixon and how he just wasn't going to be able to play. Well, he did play all season, ended up turning in an upside RB one finish, but Dwayne, you're still a little bit curious about what exactly is going on behind Joe Mixon.
1: Yeah. And with the Bengals, honestly, I struggled. There were two questions. One, could we expect, you know, the Bengals to really throw the ball like we saw them, down the stretch last year. And I, how I,
0: are they going to replace Auden Tate?
1: Right, and how are they going to? Well, that was actually number one, but I figured you <laughs> would run with that storyline. So I didn't want to steal your thunder. Um, so, but yeah, as far as Mixon goes, I, I just want to know who's the backup, you know, because one, you're playing in a really good offense. You could, there's a lot of opportunity to score points. But number two, specifically, who's handling the passing down role? Because we saw this last year with Mixon that they were adamant and keeping him off the field on passing downs. And if you listen to the coaching staff, they don't, They don't discount Mixon's ability in the passing game. They look at that as being the time that they can just get him off the field and give him rest. Unfortunately for fantasy players – that is a high leverage situation. We want those targets. We want those checkdowns. We want those receptions. And so it does matter. Like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be P. Ryan or is it going to be Chris Evans? And I think we've gotten a little bit of news. You know, we had um, Zach Taylor come out, and I believe it was yesterday, might have been the day before. Ian, you probably have a note on this, but actually said that Samaji P. Ryan does have a leg up right now on Chris Evans, but then also noted, hey, look, it's a long camp. We'll see where these things end up. But right now, P. Ryan does appear to have the slight edge on Evans as the passing down back.
0: Yep, pretty much nailed it. The exact quote. He's certainly got a leg up right now in that battle, but that's what training camp is for. Plenty of times guys step up and have huge growth. We'll see where it goes with Piran currently being over Chris Evans. Shout out to Ben baby over at ESPN. You know, for my money's worth, the best Bengals beat writer out there and a fellow Cincinnati native makes sense, you know, covers the Bengals. But he said, this is Ben at Ben underscore Baby. From a fantasy perspective, I draft Evans over P. Ryan, but there's no guarantee that pick provides dividends, given how the Bengals have used their running back. So, if Mixon gets hurt, Dwayne, things get awfully interesting. That's where you know maybe Evans can have the sort of you know DeAndre Swift like 10 carries and getting a bunch of targets. Roll in the meantime. Look, it's already hard enough to get standalone value with any RB2. I don't think there's going to be the, any incency. I'm not saying we we're necessarily expecting that. This is just going to be, you know, a kind of tough situation to continue to monitor. The only other kind of offensive, not issue, but question mark, is what exactly is going on at tight end with CJ gone. More and more, Dwayne, it does look like Hayden Hurst is going to be that guy. He was getting hyped up in OTAs. Now he's being called the "quote unquote" early winner at Bengals camp. And look, Hayden Hurst, you know, we did our tight end strategy uh, episode last week. Hayden Hurst should never be drafted in a traditional ten, even twelve man redraft format. But Dwayne. A lot of us play best ball when we do need two or three tight ends. Like once you start getting down that range, man, Hayden Hurst is now officially like the cheapest tight end that you can somewhat wrap your mind around having that sort of Robert Tunyon, Dawson Knox sort of explosion, you know, 10, maybe 10 touchdowns on 60, 70 targets. You're asking a lot, but he is in play.
1: Yeah. It's a best ball play to your point. Like he's, he's, should clearly be behind the other three top options, um, so it, it's hard to get overly excited. But in best ball, you're in a good offense. Like he can come through, you know, with the touchdowns. I think you nailed it. Like that's how that's how Hayden Hurst outproduces his ADP. But to your point, you're going to really struggle. And think of CJ Uzama last year. Like had a few blow up games for us, and like DFS, you know, so people that threw that dart on Uzama those weeks in DFS, you know, as a as a men tight end. Like they came through really big, and so that up that kind of upside is there. Hayden Hurst is a former first round, late first round pick, um, but it's going to be kind of up and down. You're going to really struggle to want to have him in your lineup every week, you know, or, or pull the trigger to put him in your lineup every week, you know, in redraft. And if you're trying to pick from like him and two other similar players, like <laughs> you, you know, you've probably been there, Ian. Like <laughs> I pick the wrong damn one every time. <laughs>
0: Cleveland Browns, your question obviously was will Deshaun Watson play in 2022? We now know that he will. You guys continue to join tonight's entire podcast about the topic if you want more, more information on that. Only things I will add out of training camp, Anthony Schwartz banged up his knee, apparently just strained though, so not looking like going to be a fully long-term thing. He looked like Anthony Schwartz is one of these guys where I don't think he himself is going to carve out like usable fantasy value, but if he is rotating with Don Peoples-Jones and David Bell, and now we just have this big commitment media cross from Amari Cooper that could prevent either of those other guys really standing out also note that David Bell remains on the pup with a foot injury that he suffered in minicamp getting a little bit of the Donovan Peoples Jones hype out there but again you can tune into our Deshaun Watson specific podcast for a full breakdown on the Cleveland Browns offense Dwayne with the Broncos it's your boy
1: it's that season
0: no not Alberto you're more concerned about Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon how dare you Dwayne?
1: <laughs> yeah uh and honestly i was torn but i <laughs> i went with the one i knew that would make a bigger difference like to most people playing fantasy fair, right fair. In, in most in most leagues now with where the adp is at on albert O, you're probably just going to be able to ring him up as a free agent on on week one you know for most you know, if you're in a deeper league you know yeah he goes in like round 12 13 14 people are still taking him in a tight end premium but everybody's got to face the reality of what's the deal with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, you know, the third. So I, I don't know how much information we'll get on this. You know, we've kind of gotten mixed reviews back to minicamp. You know, we've heard some rumors that, well, it's going to be Williams. He's going to be taking, you know, he has a really good shot. People inside the building think that, you know, this could be 65% Javante Williams, which we would all love because he smashes everything we want. His underlying data profile really looks more like a Jonathan Taylor, right? It looks like someone that we definitely would want to see on the field all the time. Having said all that, Melvin Gordon was also really good last year. Now they, they waited, um, basically let him go shop the market, brought him back on a one year, $2.5 million deal. But you are hearing, you know, in camp. And again, these things are, this is to your point. It's where it's tough. It's where it's tough. Like practice reps are so tough. We don't know what the coaches are trying to establish. Sometimes it's just keeping people fresh, right? Sometimes, you know, depending on if they're facing the first string defense, they may actually be simulating, you know, what a first drive might look like. And maybe that would matter more if Williams was out there or if they rotated on that drive, we might care more about that. So it's, it's tough to decipher all this. So, and again, I don't know what they're going to do in preseason games, right? Are they going to give these guys many carries? May- Hopefully we get one game where we can kind of see, but even then it's going to be a limited data point. So it's run- one of these things where I think we're going to have to try to pick up what's the what's the drumbeat, right? Like a Sigmund Bloom would say. Can we find a consistent pattern that we're hearing through this? Or is it just kind of all over the place every day?
0: I think it's been a fairly consistent drum beat that javante will be featured a little bit more the 6535 thing is maybe a little bit wishful yeah. thinking like I'm thinking more 5545 or 60 40. we did get the note that you know Hackett won't Every time you ask Nathaniel Hackett, they're thrilled to have both running backs out there. Of course, he's going to be saying that. They did put Javante out there, though. First, two straight days of practice to start things off. So hopefully that's a sign. But to your point, Dwayne, you know, who the hell knows with some of these rotations, what they're actually trying to do. In Denver, though, I mean, obviously that is big news. We mentioned the Tim Patrick leg injury. Still awaiting word. Last tweet we saw was that they are having he will be having an MRI, and there is fear, per sources, that both are significant for Tim Patrick and backup running back. Uh, DeMau- not good for Tim Patrick, not good for freaking anybody. We ha- we've talked about these Broncos wide receivers all offseason long. On the other side of things, Dwayne, KJ Handler activated off the pup list, already out there practicing, someone that – His knee injury, because he suffered it in August or maybe it was early September, it didn't – we weren't as concerned about the timeline with that. It was more so the dislocated hip that was on top of the knee issue that was really cause for concern. Man. So first of all, if Tim Patrick's out of the picture, I have no choice but to be a lot higher on Jerry Judy because my primary concern with Jerry Judy is now completely out of the picture. I'm sure plenty of you Judy believers will say that I always should have believed in Jerry Judy (laughs) and that Tim Patrick was never going to be a problem. But whatever, Dwayne, we got here. But to be be fair
1: to you, Ian, your argument was very, I, I I think you've been pretty balanced in your Judy argument. Like, look, it's, we've seen some things cause I've argued the other side of it. And at the end of the day, like we've seen a few things from Judy and he's played injured. And you so you haven't completely dismissed him. You but you bring up a good point. <laughs> I mean, Tim Patrick has essentially been close to what Judy's been, you know? And so why would we just automatically heap everything onto Judy? But yeah, I think at this point, if, if the injury is serious for, for Tim Patrick, still hoping that it's not, but you know, it doesn't sound promising the way the team responded. You know, we've got the MRI, you know, results still coming, But, yeah, absolutely, because our big concern with Judy was what? Was that he might be limited in the number of routes that he saw because if he got stuck inside in the slot and, you know, Timmy Pats, you know, if he was playing outside all the time and they're in 12 personnel, so two tight ends or maybe they run a fullback out there, on those formations we were just worried that you're not going to have Jerry Judy on the field. That means we could have seen a player – locked below 70%, you know, and routes run per drop back. And the other factor being is that KJ Hamler really profiles as a slot guy. So then is he rotating in? Oh yeah. Greg Dulcich, the rookie tied in really profiles as not an inline tied in a slot player. So there was a lot of risk based into Jerry uh, baked into Jerry Judy because of maybe not just forget the talent, but like, could he be on the field? Like, is yeah. he going to be on the field enough? And so now to your point, I think, Honestly, Judy probably has to be out there if Patrick is out um, in the two wide sets. That gives Hamler a a, a freer run to handle those um, slot reps. And we've seen what uh, Russell Wilson can do with a you know some of these speedy receivers that run those crossing routes and get, you know, those deep crossers, get over top the linebackers, you know, hit that back corner, pass, you know, s- you know, pass the safeties or get over top the safeties. We've seen it with Tyler Lockett. Not that we're saying that Hamler's gonna be Tyler Lockett, but it's a similar archetype of player, <laughs> you know, a guy that's with blazing speed, and we know what Russ likes to do. So I think if we do find out that, you know, Patrick is out, like this is this is uh I think this definitely moves the needle up on both of those players. I think I'll probably stay about the same on where I'm at with Sutton just because we still have these other guys like Albert O. We've got the running backs that can still be involved. I think it's tough to push Sutton up much more than where he's at. In fact, if ADP keeps climbing, at some point, we may have to jump off the Sutton train.
0: So I had Judy wide receiver 29 before any of this happened. Dwayne, right now, I think it'd be really tough to rank him any lower than 25th, I see the Deontay, Waddle, Gabe Davis, Allen Robinson tier, and I'm tempted to move him right there at the top of that up to wide receiver 21. So I'm thinking just straight up low end, maybe borderline wide receiver two range. That sound about right? Or are you going to go a yep. step further?
1: Okay. Nope. That, I think that's for his profile. If we know that he's going to have the snaps, I think that's where you slot him. So it's a matter of just what happens to his, how much does his ADP climb? Um, you know, and can we continue to gain access? But he's, he's a player that's young enough, right? And we know that the talent profile is at least solid. So even if you have to reach a little bit on him to gain some exposure, I probably will. If you're drafting in one league, you know, you only have one draft. Judy's not a guy I'm going to go out of my way, you know, to reach for, but I love a receiver, you know, getting to play with Russell Wilson. (laughs) That's the bottom line. So uh, he's a guy that certainly will be in fantasy plans. But I think that where you just discussed, you know, having him, I think, you know, as that uh, low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three, that's where he deserves to slot in.
0: Where are you moving Hamler up to? I mean, you could argue, just swap him out with Tim Patrick. That's probably a little aggressive. But at a minimum, man, I think once we get into that that early wide receiver 60 range where we have the Patriots guys and Jalen Tolbert and Joshua Palmer, to me, that seems like the spot that Hamler could definitely be going now.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. You could probably, you know, you could make an argument. You know, does he long, belong, you know, more like up in like the mid 50s, early 50s, like a Rondell Moore? You probably have Rondell Moore even a little bit higher than that. I guess 48, late, baby. I figured you were late 40s. So we're close. I'm 52 on Rondell. That's the other spot where I'm kind of like, you know, but like, do you want to take him over Jahan Dotson? I think Jahan Dotson right now profiles as the number two weapon in a lesser attack, right? Doesn't have as good of a quarterback, a lesser offense. You're getting the third weapon, probably maybe fourth, though, because Albert O could have something to say about it. So, yeah, I think you're probably right. You know, slot him in. Uh, you know, somewhere maybe around like Robbie Anderson, those types. And if you want to put him above that, that's fine because he's younger. Right. And so we, there's still more unknowns with Hamler. Um, he could still have a bigger breakout. We, we like Anderson, but we kind of know what he is at this point. So if you're more of a, want to take a bigger swing type player, then I think Hamler probably fits just above those guys, which in my ranks would put him, you know, somewhere around Jalen Tolbert, maybe right behind Jahan Dotson, maybe right ahead, you know, so in my top 60, Let's move
0: on to the Houston Texans here. My guy, Cordero Patterson is now going outside the top 36 running backs in all of fantasy, but he is not the cheapest running back in all of cheapest, starting running back in all of fantasy. That honor goes to whoever the hell winds up leading this Houston, Texans backfield. That's what you want to get to the bottom of here. Dwayne.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just when we look at Damian Pearson and there's a challenge, we've talked about it. He never handled an every down role in, in, in college. You know, uh, he, he, was a number three back, though, on PFF's big board, you know, coming out of Florida um, after leading the FBS in rushing grade last year with a 93.5. Um, you know, his 25% tackles avoided per attempt is two percentage points above the NCAA average. Um, and he's one of four backs, you know, and you brought this up way early on in the process to post a 70 plus PFF. uh a PFF grade in rushing, receiving, and pass blocking in the 2022 class. So he seems to be a well-rounded back. He has been limited in the nature that he's been used in college, but we've seen guys like this from Florida that had limited roles that were really talented players, recruited highly coming to the NFL. Like, and we're like, wow, what is this? Like Kadarius Tony is an example last year. You know, he was kind of limited in the way that he was used at Florida, not a running back, but it's a player that we definitely want to keep an eye on because the competition just isn't that stiff, you know, with Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead, you know, those are, those don't qualify as immovable obstacles, you know, to gaining a large work workload. But I think if we're looking for just one thing around Damian Pierce, what I would love to hear Ian is that he's getting the passing down work because we are dealing with the Texans, you know, they're, they're not slated to win many games. They're probably going to trail often. So, We don't necessarily want to be involved even with young players, right? With backs that are going to handle just early down work on bad teams because that just means you're not on the field. Like after the first half of the game, when things are out of reach, you're just not on the field anymore because your team's trailing all the time. And, you know, once you get down inside the five later in the games, let's say you're making a comeback. A lot of times the coach, the coaches don't want to run the ball because they don't want to take more time off the clock with a run play. They want to just throw it in the end zone three or four times in a row. So those are the things that could work against Damian Pierce. um, If he's just the early down option. The plus is he profiles as someone that maybe could end up just being the guy that takes over the receiving down work, but he is a rookie. So that's the big thing that I want to look for with Damian Pierce. Can we get any nuggets telling us that he might potentially be the lead pass down back, which is the hardest role to earn as a rookie. And then could he develop into more as the season goes and maybe steal some of those early down carries from a guy like Marlon Mack.
0: Only kind of note I saw on him was that him and Rex Burkhead apparently have have been flashing the most amongst the Houston Texans running backs, but not a lot of notes out there on the Texans. I think they are probably happy to take a backseat in the media these days. Only other note I would say recently, I think we already touched on this in a separate podcast, but yeah, with second round pick John Mechie likely out for the entire season as he battles Acomia, comia. Uh, Nico Collins will be now stepping up really definitively as the number two in that offense. Davis mills, Four games, over 300 passing yards last year. It will be the Brandon Cook show, more weeks or not. But Nico going still usually outside the top 70 wide receivers. You could do worse in that range. Let's talk a little about the Indianapolis Colts here, Dwayne Matt Ryan under center. That no good. Carson Wentz is gone, <laughs> and I'm 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 not saying that myself. I'm trying to imitate a Colts brass here because that's kind of been the buzz the entire uh, summer. But you know what, man, Reggie Wayne wasn't it him that said that uh, Matt Ryan like reminded him of Peyton so much that like he started crying or something. So like, Hey, there's a lot of people excited about it. And for good reason, Matt Ryan has led some fantastic offenses over the years, but Dwayne, you're wondering like, how much is it going to be Matt Ryan stepping into the Colts offense and maybe how much the Colts offense becomes what Matt Ryan wants to do.
1: Right. Right. Um, so, the the big buzz right out of camp you know and again it's early but it's just been how quickly Ryan's moving the offense you know and so when you look at the you look at last season the Colts only averaged two plays per minute which was the second slowest in the NFL we also have talked about multiple times the way game scripts really worked out perfectly um, for the running game for the Colts because they um, you know when you look at their leading scripts where they led by at least four points or more, they were 13 percent above the NFL average. So just regression alone on that statistic and potentially a faster offense would mean maybe there's more opportunity even than we think here for a guy like Michael Pittman Jr., right? Who we clearly expect to lead this team. We're also getting buzz around Paris Campbell. Saying he's year. probably, yeah, it's, it's due this time. And look. Campbell is a great athlete and he can play in the slot. He's a guy that you can work underneath Pittman. You can work outside, you know, really use him. You know, they'd be nice compliments, you know, to one another. So I think there's a lot of implications, you know, for Matt Ryan, if they can, if they can root, if they can move the ball more quickly. And when I say uh, implications, implications really for the Colts, you know, receivers. And it also could potentially impact Jonathan Taylor. Because Jonathan Taylor, you know, we've also heard the buzz in camp that Naheem Hines, you know, he's going to have more of a role. We saw them use Naheem Hines even more last year out out wide in the slot to try to help offset, you know, the fact of, well, we don't just want to take, you know, Jonathan Taylor off the field all the time when we have Naheem Hines out there. But Hines was really the two-minute offense back. Now, Jonathan Taylor started to take over a little bit more of the passing duties late last year. But if the Colts are suddenly playing a quicker brand of football, they're not leading by as much. I think there is some potential impact to Jonathan Taylor's role here and how many touches he's going to get that really help a lot of the other players, namely Pittman, Campbell, as well as Naheem Hines. Dwayne, did you see the news? No. What's the news? Big news. Big news. Okay, look, I at, look at
0: Twitter. Look at Rap Sheet.
1: Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to stop and do an emergency pod on Herndon? I,
0: probably Chris
1: Herndon on the saints,
0: baby. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm not sure if he's going to make the team, but back in the NFL life is good on Chris Herndon. I didn't hear one thing about him the entire off season. Dwayne, I told you, man, I literally went to go search and see what his free agency cycle was doing, what was going on. And the first news thing I saw was someone quoting a tweet. I had asked about like that topic, like a couple weeks before. So finally, finally, one of the key free agency it's setting up
1: for you, man. Odd and Tate can be a starter this year. We already got CPAP back last year. Um, you know, I mean, can we Duke Johnson, you know, at least he's on a team, at least he's on a team, you know, that, you know, could potentially give him some run. Oh my goodness. Um, so uh, Okay. I, okay. Back. I'm waiting for you to hit like the trifecta, you know, back. On these guys all at one time. Back on topic. Apology. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm hyped.
0: You guys all know Chris Vernon is my guy, you know, we only get a few of these a year. Back to the Colts. I will say this, Dwayne. You look at the Colts and the Cowboys. I, I look at Naeem Hines and Tony Pollard a little bit similar. similarly. I don't think Hines has the same ability to be the full-time workhorse as Pollard does should an injury happen. But we're getting the same usual July, August. This running backs so to get some more run in the slot. The same BS we hear every year and we know is not going to happen. But my God, Dwayne. Pollard and Hines, I do think they are two of very few running backs that actually are capable of kind of doing that and being a threat as a receiver. And you look at those wide receiver rooms, particularly the Cowboys with the injuries they're suffering. My God, if there were two offenses that it would make sense to really use their RB2 more so in that fashion, it would be the Colts and it would be the Cowboys with Naeem Hines and Tony Pollard. It's probably just wishful thinking, but damn it, Dwayne, you can imagine I
1: just don't yeah, know how I Hines think they're different. I, I think Hines really is just, he's basically a receiver. I think he and JD McKissick are basically receivers. Then you have CMC, the Camara tier, which are like uh, just a notch below those guys, as far as like put them out on a cornerback, right? They can still do something, but they're great mismatches versus linebackers and safeties. Um, my challenge with Pollard is he's not really this plus a dot player. He's not necessarily like a great route runner. He's, he's good, but he's not wide receiver. Good. And, yeah, you could get him out there and scheming things, but I think the best way to get Pollard more touches is just let him take over the passing down work from Zeke. You know, then you immediately get a cushion from linebackers, safeties. You can get him into space. You can create layers to your field. You, know, you have Tolbert running down the field. Um, then you can have CeeDee Lamb working the short to intermediate stuff, and then you have you know Pollard working underneath, and you got Schultz playing you know as a great matchup inside against the zone type stuff. Um, so I struggle to see you know, and I, I've. I've I've been through this so many times, right? To your point, we hear it every year. We heard it with Kareem Hunt two years ago. We heard it with Darrell Henderson, his rookie season, how he was going to play in the slot and do all these things and be on the field at the, same, at the same time as Todd Gurley. Um, and then, you know, now hearing it, you know, again this year. And I think it takes a special profile for a player to get that kind of role because typically from an X's and an O's standpoint, and you know this, Ian, like – if you're thinking it's a potential run play and you've got Pollard on the field, that's not a plus. He's not a good blocker. If you're thinking it's a passing play and you want to have Pollard and Zeke on the field, that's not necessarily a plus either because Zeke's not really that great of a weapon. You know, he's fine as a check down type player and he's better maybe than what people think in the receiving game, but he's not something that threatens the defense. So I just struggle and I feel like, you know, and I know we'll talk probably Pollard on on the NFC, but for me with Heinz, he is a little different. Um, so maybe, and I mean, we just, we, we've actually seen them increase his slot reps, you know, the last couple of years, he was like almost at one thirty last year. So we'll see what they do. But to your point, it, typically these things don't come. Typically, I don't know of a time these things have come to fruition, to be honest. Like I can't think of a time where all of a sudden uh, a running back started playing slot all the time. And we got all this production out of him being on the field the same time as the other back.
0: It's just, I, I hear you. The, the hit rate is so small in this. I feel like we should just completely disregard it. But
1: when it would make sense to your point though, like the weapons are, they need It's more. So
0: the Cowboys, like I'm not sitting here doing the same. All the Cowboys need to bench Zeke for Tony Pollard. We know that's not going to happen, but will the Cowboys play Noah Brown, Jake Ferguson, And these guys that we don't even know, well, they play those guys over Tony Pollard instead of putting him out there in the slot in the backfield, getting more creative with it. Because at that point, I understand the Cowboys believe Zeke is better than Tony Pollard. I'm not sure the Cowboys believe Zeke their wide receiver three, their tight end two. I don't know about those other guys. If they consider them better than Pollard in Naeem Hines case, with Alec Pierce there, with Paris Campbell, with Michael Pittman. As long as those guys are healthy, I don't see them having quite the same opportunities. So not a one for one, but I want to get yeah. that idea off my chest. But you also
1: get Naheem Hines way later. You know, now now Pollard's clearly got the better upside. You know, to your point, like if Jonathan Taylor goes down, I, like basically the Colts would need to change their offense, right? For Naheem Hines to have any kind of chance to really give you upside. They'd probably need to turn into like a pass heavy team. I don't know if they would do that. I mean, maybe they would. It's not like they have a super deep running back room. Whereas if Zeke goes down, I mean Pollard has RB one overall potential, so the uh, and and that's what you're paying for. um That's my challenge with Pollard, though, is you got to take him in round seven. You know, right now of drafts when you can turn around and you can grab a chase Chase Edmonds in round eight, Kareem Hunt, you know, in round eight, other guys that some profile very similar really good passing down backs, but have clearer paths. You know, to you know potentially you know better roles anyway than what pollard has so um that's my biggest challenge it's like i love pollard and i want to have access to pollard in drafts it's the adp thing that just it makes it kind of tough like he's going at the end of round six right now over at did, the pc he
0: did have over a thousand yards last year with 17 games of zeke now i know they cut zeke's usage back but i i think the guys you brought up are very reasonable but pollard like i would not group him in with like the alexander madisons of the world like, he, no no i agree with that he's far more that. Far more uh even
1: though Pollard did those things like still listen to his his fantasy points. Eight, he had a twenty three, seven and a half, six, seven, a fourteen, a nine, a four, a five, a sixteen, a nine, a ten, a fifteen, a twelve, a seven, a nine. You know, so I mean, it's fine. But honestly, if you have Pollard, this is what I'll say. You want him in your R B two spot. Don't don't take I'm not taking Pollard if I've already got three backs or if I've already no. got two backs, if I want to take him and say, fine, I'll live with him in my RB two. And I've got him loaded at receiver. You know, I'm loaded at these other spots, which he makes it hard to do. Cause you got to take him in round seven. That's the appeal of waiting till round eight or nine on a couple of these other guys with similar profiles. You can keep ham. You can get the elite quarterback. You can get the elite tight end. You can have it all if you're not stuck on Pollard. But at the end of the day, if you have him as your RB two and everything else you have is strong, then I like it for Pollard. And then you come back and you hammer some of the other stuff at running back. Maybe you can still, to your point, add like a CPAT who's fallen down the boards. And then maybe he CPAT actually steps into your RB2 role for you. And then if Pollard goes off later, great. So there's ways you can build your roster to get Tony Pollard in. But I think you definitely definitely need to be planning multiple steps ahead because you do have to sacrifice, ultimately, the, the best way, I think, this year to build a roster. Pollard makes you get off of that plan just a tad. Not saying it can't work, because it could, but you need to plan for it. Jacksonville Jaguars, who of course, of course took down the Colts. You know, I was going to skip
0: this quick rant, but it's about the Jaguars. <laughs> it's the Jaguars and the Colts, so it just actually lines up pretty perfect. Let's just hype up. Let's hype up Matt Ryan and Paris Campbell, and just leave once out of it. He's been off the team for like five months now. I, we still have guys tweeting. This happened on let's see, July twenty eighth. Paris Campbell, with an accurate QB hitting him in stride, is a lethal combination. Like, did the beat writers not even watch that Week eighteen game? Like, is that what we're Go into here because like Paris Campbell dropped a perfectly thrown bomb from Carson Wentz on fourth and freaking season in that fourth <laughs> quarter. So, like, look, man, I love Paris Campbell. He's it, it takes a lot for me to point out a negative about you know an Ohio State guy, Dwayne. So I'm you know, as I'm patting myself on the back here, like, come on though, just I'm proud of you. Just tell me, tell me that Matt Ryan and Paris Campbell look great, like just spare me these still jibes, these little daggers were still throwing Carson Wentz's way this long after the fact. So with that off my chest, Dwayne, the Jacksonville Jaguars star of training camp so far won Travis ETN. Now we do have James Robinson somehow already off the pup list looking like, I mean, it's tough to know exactly what every single team's, you know, standing is on guys, not on the pup, whether they're guaranteed to play week one or whether they're still a candidate to be eased back into action, or maybe they will go back on the pup eventually. Either way, Dwayne, the big thing for ETN, I think this is what a lot of people don't realize whether Robinson's there or not, man, it does change his ceiling outcome, obviously. But more than anything, let's just get the guy some targets.
1: Yeah, and that's really all we care about. Do we know for sure that Travis Etienne is locked into the passing down role? Because if he is, you're still getting a value in round three of sharp drafts. And you can get him in round four or five of your home leagues right now. So you're still getting value because you're getting a player, an archetype, that's basically, and you you've nailed it earlier in the season with your comp. It's DeAndre Swift. You're getting DeAndre Swift, the same as what we were dealing with last year. Folks worried about the one a one B thing, right, with Jamal Williams and with De- and with Swift. We've been worried about the one a B thing with Eckler and Melvin Gordon in the past. we've We've always worried about the one A one B. Well, if you're the one A, meaning if you're the one B, but it means you get the receiving down work, especially on a team that's you know expected to lose a lot of games you're probably going to have the most valuable um, you know, opportunities on the team. We also know that ETN can be an explosive player, so he gives the opportunity to break the big plays. That helps him overcome the, the fact that he may not see as much carries inside the five. So there's just so many things to like about ETN, but we do need to make sure that he does have that passing down role because I've even heard from a couple of beat writers, and you might have something on this, Ian, where somebody's saying, well, maybe it's you know Robinson that's going to be the passing down work. Like That would floor me. Like yeah. with everything I've heard about the way they're working on ETN in the passing game, how he's the star of camp, how you just can't deal with him out in the flat or anything like that, you know, against these linebackers like that, that really surprised me, you know, so I don't know how much truth there is to that, but it's worth noting. We need to know if for some reason we thought ETN was not getting the passing down work, that would be bad. That would be really bad for him. Um, you know, two minute offense and long down and distance are kind of, they're very different actually long down and distance. Usually the, the running back will stay in to black to, to, uh, to block (laughs) because what happens on third and long in they go man coverage. And what does the defense do? They blitz, right? So typically the back has to stay in, but in a two minute offense, which is where we, what we care about the most, right? That means you're in catch up mode you're just trying to move the ball down the field. Now, if that means a check down to your back, if it means getting the back, you know, more involved, you know, on angle Texas routes, Ian, things like that, which ETN, you know, he was the number one PFF receiving grade 90.9 in the country in his final year at Clemson. Um, so, and we're getting all the buzz around his, his role as a receiver. But again, we just, we need to make sure that he is going to have that passing down role. If for some reason we thought that was really in jeopardy, that would mean I would need to take a break tap on Travis ETN.
0: Really helpful article on ESPN.com where they basically just were asking some of the biggest fantasy football questions and they each had a, you know, a beat reporter from every team go through. So Michael DiRocco for the Jaguars asked, how does the mix of Travis ETM and James Robinson work? Michael said the following. Robinson is recovering from a torn Achilles, but the team didn't place him on the pup, and the hope is he'll be fully cleared in mid August. Head coach Doug Peterson said in the spring that the team still views Robinson as a top back. However, ETM will be heavily involved in the passing game. Offensive coordinator Prez Taylor said he can see ETM being used similar to the way Philadelphia used. Used Brian Westbrook years ago. That'd be freaking awesome. Educated guest from Michael Robinson has more carries than ETN, but ETN could have a slight lead in total touches by the time the season ends. Music to our ears there. That's exactly what we're hoping for. Or... Dwayne Robinson is slow coming back and ETN takes over the whole damn backfield. Like I don't see the Kamara Debo Samuel comps for ETN here. The comp would be Christian McCaffrey in that point. <laughs> Cause the man's not leaving the damn field. Like that really at its jest is yeah. what Christian McCaffrey. You're,
1: either way, to. you're getting upside from his ADP right now, assuming he has the passing down role, which I'm sorry. I'm still 80. I'm 90, 90% that that's ETNs. Yeah. You know, I, I've just heard a little bit to make me be like, okay, let's monitor it. but, even if James Robinson gets a lot of the early down work, you're still getting a value as you know, in the third, fourth and fifth round of drafts. If to your point, (laughs) James Robinson is not ready or ETN is just really good. And they've got a first round draft pick in this guy. You still got the same front office there. I know we've got a new coach, but if that's the situation, that's the scenario, the upside to your point, people aren't even thinking necessarily of what ETN's real upside could be if he gets all the work. So I like the new stuff coming out around ETN. Oh, well, we've got James. It's really already baked into his ADP. So if this is going to make people let ETN fall further down draft boards, it's really just good for all of us. Kansas
0: City Chiefs. We know Mahomes is going to put up big time numbers. We know Travis Kelsey is going to put up big time numbers. We don't know what the pecking order is at wide receiver. Little bit of uncertainty going around here with this specific question, Dwayne, because a missed sky more basically flashing day after day. I mean, again, just training camp highlights, and it, you do have to get past seeing, you know, a guy wearing number twenty four going downfield. But objectively, making some good plays out there. Not that we're overly concerned with that, Dwayne. But we did see him come up gimpy in practice as we record this on August second. I think it's Tuesday, something around there. But Dwayne, the question is, how early is? Too early for Sky Moore. We had one beat reporter saying that he viewed Sky Moore as a 2023 pick. He's not thinking that's the case anymore. And not a pick necessarily, but you know, like a 2023 contributor. That's what you're most concerned with finding out.
1: Yeah, I think we just need to know. All, all I want to know is can Sky Moore be out there in the starting three wide receiver sets, which in my mind means he just needs to beat out McCall Hardman who's really struggled to earn any kind of full-time role anyway. Um, Look, MVS is going to be out there on the opposite side. They paid him. Will he be able to earn targets? Different question. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, probably going to be out there in the slot. But who's going to be the third receiver? And I think if it is Sky Moore... I think there's potential that he's the number two target in this offense, and the reason why is you know a lot of people discount Sky Moore, and I think we're hearing, and again, this can be confirming priors, right? We hear a lot about rookies through camp reports, but just a lot of comments right around the 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 route running, you know, and him and Patrick Mahomes getting on the same page. And when you look at more, what I really like is of the routes that the NFL uses the most, the staple routes, 60% of NFL routes. um, You know, so to qualify, you had to at least over the last three years, a route had to count for at least seven percent of the routes used by the NFL. So once you take that as your cutoff and then you apply that to all the receivers that were coming out in college this year and looked at their careers, Sky Moore had the number one yards per route run across all of those. Now, is that like some defining thing that means, Oh my God, Sky Moore is for sure to smash. We don't have data going back far enough, honestly, to tell us whether or not that's going to be something that's predictive or super important. But it made me take note, right? Because a lot of people immediately dismiss Skymore because he comes from a small school. And what do people equate small schools with? Not going to be ready, not going to be ready for the big time. So at least against the competition he played against, Skymore proved to be really good on the things that the NFL likes to do. And when you think about what we have with the Chiefs, MVS probably going to be stretching the field out more. Juju more of an underneath guy. You know, Kelsey can do everything. But then like I think Moore is the guy that gives you probably the next most versatility in all the different things that he can do, right? And really the timing routes and different things like that that we haven't seen as much from you know, in this offense. So I just think there's a lot of opportunity because MVS hasn't really shown us anything as far as a breakout. Yes, he did get paid, um, but he would, he would be an outlier based on the data I use if MVS broke out. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, you've documented it. You said it multiple times. What's he been really on all of his underlying metrics since his breakout season? Not much, you know, and people want to blame Ben, but then they want, but then they, when you look at Deontay Johnson and you're like, well, it didn't bother Deontay Johnson. Didn't really bother Chase Claypool, but it really bothered Juju Smith-Schuster. So, I mean, yeah, did Ben has been a factor in some of those things for Juju? Yeah, but also also his PFF receiving grade wasn't very good, which is designed to help separate those things apart. So, I think there's just a really good opportunity if we know that Moore's going to be out there, Ian, in three wide receiver sets. I would not be surprised if he ends up being the number two targeted player behind. Travis Kelsey in this offense. And we can get in between in a sharper draft going round nine. When I say sharper, mainly just leagues that have already been drafting. You know, if you're in a high stakes league or you're playing on underdog, these people have been drafting for months now. Right. And so they're just, you know, bra- you know, drafting takes practice. But if you're in a home league and these ADPs haven't caught up yet, like sky Moore, man, like round 12, round 13, you're getting this guy, like maybe with one of your last picks.
0: Also would note that Isaiah Pacheco, there's, I believe, seventh-round rookie running back, getting a little bit of hype as well. I found a good note from uh, J.J. Zacharison, friend of the podcast he was on earlier this offseason, obviously at Late Round QB, true legend of the industry. But in his uh, draft guide, which was fantastic, you can still purchase that, he noted the following about Pacheco. Before this year's draft and since 2011, only Leonard Fournette, Derrick Henry, Robert Turbin, Nice. AJ Dillon and Jonathan Taylor have been selected in the draft while having captured a speed score of 115 or better and a best season touchdown share of 35% or better. In other words, they moved incredibly fast for their size and they did well in the touchdown column in college. This year, Brees Hall joined that group. So did Isaiah Pacheco. So, no, I'm not expecting him to beat out Clyde edwards He still might not even make the team, even though we've had a couple people say nice things about him in these in these uh, training camp reports. But you could do worse, you know, in the fifth round of a rookie draft if you still have those coming up. Also, would we'll just say in the wide receiver room, mentioned this briefly before, but, yes, Justin Ross done for the season. Hopefully he can be back in 2023 healthy for the first time in a minute. Dwayne, another backfield that we got some questions about, the Las Vegas Raiders. People, I think, need to look at the Raiders as we looked at the Patriots, and the best way of doing that is admitting that we know nothing, but maybe, maybe we do know something, Dwayne. That is the question, though. What Do we need to tweet the Raiders like that, or, or has that been a Bill Belichick thing, and Josh McDaniels is now going to give us just the most clear-cut, defined backfield that we could ever hope for? I tend to think probably more of a Patriots thing.
1: Yeah, I lean that way as well. Um, you know, and again, a lot of times we will dismiss, you know, coaching um tendencies, historical coaching tendencies. Because there's a lot of context, right? You go back and you look at a team and you'll see like, oh man, he's, he's targeted this, this coordinator targeted his tight ends 25%. And you go back like, well, he had freaking Tony Gonzalez, no shit, (laughs) 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 you know? I mean, and then the next stop he had, you know, he had freaking, uh, you know, whoever Antonio Gates on his roster. Wow. It's amazing that five years in a row, this coordinator targeted, you know, his tight end. So these things can be, you know, taken with a grain of salt, but there are. Certain situations and scenarios where we've just seen long track records, Ian. And that's one that we have here. And then the Raiders backed it up with the offseason moves. That's even more important to me, right? When you get, okay, Josh McDaniels used to deploying three headed backfield, Josh McDaniels goes out, drafts Zamir White in the fourth round of the NFL draft. They also bring Brandon Bolden, special teamer over. And I know, look, Brandon Bolden is a name that normally, We would not even mention Ian, right? You know, only, only two
0: teams in the NFL. We care about Brandon Bolden on this is one.
1: Yeah. The Patriots and the Raiders. (laughs) And, and, and it's because we've seen the Patriots in the past, no matter what Ian, basically just always keep a third back involved. It doesn't matter how many guys get hurt. It just very rarely is condensed down to just two guys, you know? So, that makes it challenging to just look past it. And then when you add together the fact that we've got these moves, my gut says you're gonna get Josh Gate, Josh Jacobs is gonna play the Damian Harris role, which means no more 60% Josh Jacobs on the field. Probably more like 40, maybe 50%. He'll probably get the first crack at all the carries inside the five, but Zamir White could threaten him for some of those. I think in the passing game work, you're going to see Kenyon Drake out there. And if Kenyon Drake isn't well enough, I think that's why they added, you know, a guy like um, Amir Abdullah. And again, Abdullah is another name that people probably wouldn't normally care about, including us. But on this team, he fits a very specific archetype that they like. They want to make sure they've got two guys that can catch the ball two guys that can bang, you know, inside the, inside the tackles. Um, You could also look at Kenyon Drake as almost being more of that Jack of all trades type player, like more like a uh, a Rex Burkhead type, right? So yeah, I think this is a challenge for the Raiders. I think it's a challenge uh, to really consider Josh Jacobs, to be honest at ADP. It's one of those things where I'm treating it more like the Patriots, like just give me the back that goes the latest for the Raiders and we'll just see what happens.
0: And it's been You know, we talk about constant drum beats. That's what this has been. Vic uh, Tefer over at The Athletic. Wrote in June that the, he expecting the Raiders to shift from Josh Jacobs to a running back by committee system. We had Yahoo Sports' Charles Robinson report in July that he expects new coach Josh McDaniels to use a quote-unquote situational committee. And lo and behold, Tashawn Reed with The Athletic also reports that Kenyon Drake is expected to maintain a quote-unquote significant role in the backfield. Know that he's practicing and looks good. Looks fully recovered from the broken ankle from last season. And yeah, specifically, uh, Reed wrote, the Raiders will have more of a running back by committee approach the season and Drake will play a significant role in the rotation as a runner and a receiver. He's going to a contract year, but next offseason isn't where his focus is. Also, Zamir White missed the first few days of camp with an undisclosed injury, but he is back and also apparently impressed. So I think the answer here, Dwayne, is either what you said, take the cheapest one or no, stay the hell away. If anything, we want the pass catcher. Like Kenan Drake is the only one I think I'm throwing a dart at. And that's what we talked about yep. in New England. Damon Harris, people will say that he scored 15 touchdowns last year. He sure did. And he finished as the RB 18 in <laughs> PPR points per game. Like LeGarrette Blunt, we're chasing the LeGarrette Blunt year. He wasn't even a top 15 running back in PPR points per game because full PPR is stupid scoring, but it's the game we play. So we <laughs> got to deal with it. Also, we just note that Mac Hollins apparently standing out as the wide receiver three. "Quote unquote early star of training camp." I think this offense is going to use plenty of two tight end stuff, though. Not going to have, and even if Mac Hollins gets that job, I just think he'll still be rotating with a couple guys. So we have Devonte Renfro, Waller. That's where the targets are going.
1: And super deep leagues, Ian, that are like, especially if it's tight end, tight end premium, that kind of thing. You know how we've been willing to spend like that last round pick on Trey McBride to see what happens. I think maybe Foster Moreau, depending on how you've built your team, maybe that's a name that we should consider down there, just because we know they're going to use that formation more. Um, it just makes sense. And then number two, if something does happen to Darren Waller, Moreau is at least flashed a little bit. Now, last year he lost a little bit of his shine, you know, because we did get to see him for a little bit more of an extended stretch with Waller hurt. He didn't quite come through like we had seen him, you know, in some of the smaller sample sizes before. But just a name to keep in mind, especially if you're playing a tight end premium draft, you're in round 20 and you're like, wow, I hate my tight ends. Let's just see what happens in the preseason. Foster Moreau is a name just to throw in your back pocket.
0: Dude, people were taking that Cowboys line he had after Waller was out. He went, no, okay, this is what happened. Yeah, against the Eagles, he had that spot start. He had the six catches, yep. 60 yards, and a touchdown. And then when Waller got hurt again, like people were trying to rank Moreau as this like, top five or six tight end. I swear that actually happened, Dwayne. I don't think I'm it, strong. I, it did
1: happen. Yeah. It did happen.
0: <laughs> but he went through, and yeah, he disappointed, but he still had a seven-catch, 65-yard yeah. gain, four-catch, 67-yard gain. No, he wouldn't be Darren Waller if Darren Waller gets hurt. Still someone, especially in tight end premium, though, that could certainly earn his way into your starting lineup. Let's talk a little bit Los Angeles Chargers, Dwayne, someone that you've been, you know, really high on throughout this offseason, ahead of the curve is one rookie Isaiah Spiller. You're hoping that we have a little more clarity behind Austin Eckler by the time week one gets here.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to get it (laughs) because we get like a new report every day. Um, What I will say is early in training camp like this, again, practice reports, I'm not As concerned about we're monitoring it, right? We're definitely keeping an eye on it, but these kind of reports really need to turn into more of that drumbeat theme to matter because a lot of times coaches will just, you know, put the other guys out there, right? Because they want to give the rookie, they want to give a rookie the business. You know what I mean? Like show them you're going to have to earn this role. But at the end of the day, spiller profiles as a more complete back than what we have with joshua kelly or larry roundtree they both have just not done anything special um, you know this far in their career not saying that they you know might not ever do something but they were late round picks and the chargers did spend a round four pick um, after isaiah spiller just really struggled you know at the nfl combine you know ran a poor 40 time then it is pro day you know he did not have a good vertical leap didn't have a good broad jump so all the things that i know that the nfl brass love and, and we care about too we want explosive running backs but at the end of the day in round four you're getting a high production college profile right this is a player that played in the passing game it's a player that played in the running game the youngest running back coming out this year and so i'm still willing to take a shot on spiller as being the guy that's most likely to back up austin eckler could also carve out maybe 30 of the work because we've been told that they don't want to overdo with eckler eckler's even told us that himself that he doesn't <laughs> see himself being over a 50 you know rushing attempt guy i mean i'm i'm i'm, I'm uh paraphrasing there that may not be his exact quote but at the end of the day you know we saw him see a season high last year in rushing attempts we also saw him with a season high of carries inside the five so there's just some different paths here where spiller could give you spike week value in best ball i don't think he'll be someone in we comfortable starting like in a redraft league even if he earns a little bit of a role but because he carries the every down potential in a really good offense with the chargers that is a guy that may it makes me want to prioritize him but we do need to see. Like, can he take the job? And so I'm really interested in seeing what happens in the preseason games here with Isaiah Spiller.
0: I'm not quite as high on Spiller as you and some of the other people are. I don't see the same pathway to standalone value. With that said, where he's going, I think he's perfectly fine as a handcuff there because we saw what happened with Justin Jackson last year when Eckler went down the way he was elevated and really took control my issue is that before that happened, like the Chargers clearly realized Justin Jackson was their one. That's why they treated him that way. It was still this muddled committee with, you know, all three guys, you know, seeing some work week to week before then. But, hey, they aren't good. I've We've talked about the stats with, you know, Roundtree and Kelly. It's
1: just it's just where you're getting him. Like he exactly. has the chance to truly just be the, the main guy behind Eckler. And like
0: at the price, it's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But if he is that guy. And we know they don't want to overuse Eckler. Like, I mean, I think we could make as good as good of an argument just from a usage standpoint that Isaiah Spiller could see similar touches to Tony Pollard, right? If not more. Now, what we've seen from Pollard, right, is an elite profile, (laughs) you know, a player that's hyper explosive. So I'm not I'm not saying that Spiller is Pollard, but technically speaking, like there's a good chance that if he can't overcome those other two guys, like he could actually see more snaps than Pollard because we've seen how the the Cowboys are with Zeke, right? They could still want to have Zeke out there 65% of the time. Whereas with Eckler, at least we know, like they're trying to limit it around that 50% spot, you know? So again, that's where I think the spike week value can come in. Again, not a player you're going to feel really good starting in your lineup every single week. Most of his value to your point is going to come if you have an injury to Austin Eckler. Best ball will be the one case where maybe – Every once in a while, right? You might get, oh, wow, he scored, you know, a touchdown and caught five balls, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Final note here is just, again, with training camp, be really careful about putting too much stock in any one item because, hey, there's a lot of items going around. If you haven't seen them all, uh, there's a good chance that you're weighing something more than it needs to be weighed. So Daniel Popper does a great job at the athletic. He came on this podcast last year, just breaking down all the practices. And he has talked about this being, you know, Kelly one day Spiller, one day Roundtree. They've all gotten reps with the ones. I mean, Brandon Staley said himself that until the pads come on, like he can't even like evaluate the running backs. So, like it's, it's not a big deal right now, but Taylor Bisciotti works for NFL network. And this is no offense to Taylor, but she comes out yesterday. And she tweets that Isaiah Spiller has been taking first-team reps so far at camp. He is the only running back taking only first-team reps other than Austin Eckler. A promising sign he will be the RB2. Now, that got almost 3, or 2,600 likes. Taylor watches the rest of practice, comes back later. Quote tweets yourself, corrects it, says during today's practice, Kelly and Roundtree also work with the ones undrafted running back, Letty Brown, never heard that name before, had a touchdown. They're splitting reps, in it's an open competition. RB2 is up for grabs. Dwayne, that had 60 likes. So we just have these situations <laughs> where I think people a blah, lot blah, of people, a lot of people confirming those priors. So again, nothing against Taylor. She was working with the information she had.
1: Let's just not hey, get... give her credit. She came back like I, a lot exactly. of nobody does. So.
0: Exactly. So between that and, uh, you know, someone we'll get to in a bit, a certain Patriots RB2, let's not let one drill and one practice completely change our entire opinion of a player. But everything Dwayne said about Isaiah Spiller still makes him a perfectly fine target where he's going, regardless of any, you know, practice updates from the last day or two. But Dwayne, another backfield we have some questions about. Mike McDaniel in Miami. What's his timeshare going to look like? Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle. You got a lot of questions Jordan.
1: Yeah, I think at a minimum, like we expect it to be a committee, right? Um, but the question is, you know, could Edmonds potentially be more of the 40 to 50% player, like what we saw with Elijah Mitchell? Last year, maybe not quite as many of the rushing attempts because when you go back and look at Mitchell in the games where he played at least 10% of the snaps, like I want to say he was like around 65% of the rushing attempts. I don't expect Edmonds to get anywhere close to that, but if he got to like 40% of the rushing attempts to handle all the passing down work as an explosive playmaker, again, it's the archetype we're looking for an explosive player who's very involved in the passing game. That just provides someone with outs, right? You can score touchdowns from long range. You hit the big plays. You also have an opportunity if you're in trailing game scripts, you're not sidelined, and you get to be out there for the high leverage opportunities You know, in the passing game, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. So we just want to kind of see if we can figure out. This one's going to be tough, Ian. I don't know that we'll be able to. My guess is we're going to see Edmonds with the starters if they use them in preseason, and they're going to come out for a series. And then they're going to see the backups come in and we're going to find out who the two is, right? Is it Sony Michelle? Is it Raheem Mostert? And at the end of the day, the next game, it'll be the opposite probably of that. (laughs) It'll be Mostert over Michelle. Um, But look, here's the thing I know with Miami, they went aggressively after Chase Edmonds. I know some people say that's still not a lot of money. It's pretty decent money for what running backs are getting right now in this market, right? All things being relative. So I'm putting a chip on the fact that they were aggressive after the player and that we've seen him do the things we like, right. in the passing game and in the rushing game. So we'll, we'll see what it looks like, but as long as we think, you know, it's not a situation where one of the other two is all of a sudden just the lead back, which I don't think is going to happen. It's just going to be really hard for chase Edmonds to not pay off his ADP, you know, in an offense that could look a lot different, you know, with Mike McDaniel calling the plays
0: prime zero RB target for those that are into that kind of thing. Final note here. Tweet from at Safid underscore Dean, NFL reporter. He noted that Dolphins tight end Mike Tosicki says he didn't even line up for a receiving snap during practice Saturday, yet he's ending practice catching balls from a jug machine. He's playing on the franchise tag this year and will have to block more than he has in Mike McDaniel's offense. Dwayne, I saw a lot of people being like, oh my God, like I'm out on Mike Tosicki now. I actually kind of like this. If they're actually down to use him as a full time inline tight end, like that's the concern. We knew we counted him as the odd man out in the slot. Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle. They paid Cedric Wilson. Hell, they brought in Muhammad freaking Sanu, and I'm sure there's another slot receiver somewhere in that offense. I'm forgetting. Lim Bowden. Throw him in the freaking mix. Chase Edmonds, List goes on and on. Which is sicky, man. We just need him out there on the field. I if, if he gets a 90% route rate in the slot or he gets a 90% route rate in line, I don't care. I think you could argue the end line route will get him more matchups against linebackers and safeties. Can he hold up as a blocker? Can he earn enough snaps there is a question. But to me, Dwayne, now Mike Jasicki is competing against Durham Smythe and freaking Adam Shaheen for end line targets. I kind of like his chances of winning that job versus Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle in the slot. I'm am, am I weird for thinking that this might actually be a good thing?
1: I think it could be a good thing. Again, it's one of those things where we've got incomplete information though. Like, was yeah. that because they had him out there and they were just strictly running run plays and they're rotating all the guys through, or is it because he was actually out there with the first team offense and they were letting him get run, uh, you know, blocking. Like, you know, I would love to know like that context that might be helpful again, still only a practice report. So we would have to monitor it, but definitely something that we can watch for in the preseason games, you know, assume that he gets to play. If they run him out there and like, say, for example, like the biggest thing you could see from Mike Gusecki in a preseason game, Ian, would be they come out, they run five plays to start the game, all five rushing plays. And Mike Gusecki out there for all of them, That's something good. like that, like that yeah. would be great for Gusecki because our biggest challenge to your point has been, can he be on the field enough? Because the other two guys are actually pretty good run blockers. That that makes me that that concerns me. They're probably better run blockers, but hey, maybe the guys improve. Maybe there's an opportunity there. Um, but that's what we would need to see to move him up. So I think it's a it's an astute observation by one Ian Harditz.
0: New England Patriots. Here we go. The running back room. So, Dwayne, you know we, we adjust these ranks every seemingly every day. Get always get our updates in. Do you have Ramondre Stevenson RB one now, or is it a little early for that? RB three, <laughs> RB four. What are you looking at in this Patriots backfield?
1: Well, I had him at RB one overall. Then I dropped him to three. <laughs> then I dropped him down to forty one. Then I moved him back to RB eight. You know, so yeah. Look, rational, rational, right there. Can Damian Harris and Ramondre, and Ramondre Stevenson finally condense this backfield in a two way committee? I, I think the easy answer is probably not. Um, but it's at least worth asking because both players have shown in their underlying data and metrics that they probably are pretty good running backs, right? So some of this, you got to look back at the history of the Patriots and one how, and you wonder how often did they really have two backs that were good enough, you know, to challenge, you know, each other for a lot of the carries. Typically we've had more ones, the receiving back, right? One's the, all the, the Jack of all trades. And then one's the early down work. Could we potentially see a situation where these two guys share that more, or could Stevenson, with his work in the passing game potentially, you know, take over, you know, maybe not all the early down work that still belongs to Harris, but maybe he usurps two roles, right? Like Burkhead and plus James White, because that's essentially what you need for him to pay off his ADP right now. Um, And we would also need that because that would be a clear indicator that if for some reason something happened to Damian Harris, maybe we do have a more clear path to like maybe a 60, 65% workload. Again, it's the Patriots. They're willing to sub in Dwayne McFarlane off of the freaking practice squad or off the damn waiver wire and let me play, you know, freaking third downs. Why? I don't know, but they do it. So, and it's their way. It's been their way for a very long time. And it still doesn't, you know, take away from the fact that Pierre Strong Jr. is a fourth round pick. Yes, I know. Comes from a small from a small school, but essentially the same capital draft capital as what they spent on Ramondre Stevenson last year, and so I want to continue to track: Are they using more of this Kyle Shanahan scheme? Are they using more of the wide zone? And I think the best way to look at it, Ian, is probably really tracking Pierre Strong Jr. and what folks are saying about him. If he's completely buried, and then we know James White is still trying to get back from this injury, and he doesn't have a lot of uh, they don't have a lot of money tied up, you know, in James White, then those could be things that can make us get a little bit more bullish on a player like Stevenson, Harris. Maybe a little bit, you know, but I, I feel like if there is a player to move up here, it still would be Stevenson because the chance that maybe he has some of that pass, especially in PPR. Right. That He might have a chance to get some of that passing down work. So definitely leaning towards I don't think this is going to occur, but because of the backfield we have and the two backs that are available, we at least we can't just assume 100 percent. Right. Never going to happen. We need to follow the story.
0: I don't know, Dwayne. I'm I'm hearing people saying Damian Harris can get traded. That's how good Ramondre Stevenson is. They're just gonna they're gonna trade Damian Harris. They're not gonna ask Stevenson to ever People
1: do realize David Damian Harris deal. is actually good too, right?
0: That's the thing. Like this dude just Okay, I've seen the run Stevenson had against the Colts. That didn't even count. He breaks like three tackles, goes 30 yards. Great run. I've seen the 90-yard preseason touchdown against a bunch of plumbers. Like, what about David Harris dragging like 13 different Jets defenders into the end zone from like the 20-yard line? Like, that dude is a freaking dog, and so is Ramondre Stevenson. But Hayden Winks, great point over underdog. Bill Belichick has always been an Alabama guy. Obviously, Mac Jones is an Alabama guy. Like, Damian Harris isn't going anywhere. So, yes, Dwayne, the question is, can we get a two-back committee with Dame and Stevenson? Just, Damian Harris isn't going away. And you can watch the freaking clips that Hayden pointed out. In order, in their position drills, it's still Damian Harris going first, Andre <laughs> I can't Stevenson going to second. we have
1: things like this.
0: It, it really is ridiculous. But, I mean, hell, man, once again, though, like, just for us to have this idea that we know what the hell is going to go on in this Patriots backfield. Like, what has given us that thought? You know, we're saying Pierre Strong's not going to have any run because he's a rookie and rookies don't get to work. Well, R- Stevenson did last year, so did we all just understand Stevenson was this sort of special talent that he was going to get that? Like, man, it just... It's ridiculous, and we also got a report from Kerry Thompson, a Patriots beat reporter. Ty Montgomery has more juice, than I remember just watched him get to the edge several times when the offense was repping their outside run concepts. He's going to see some real carries. I don't know if Ty Montgomery is actually going to see real carries, but to your point, Dwayne, I think there's going to be a third running back, and I'm not convinced that even if James White is on pup, that's necessarily going to be fully open there for Stevenson. It could be Ty, it could be Pierre Strong, it could be JJ Taylor. Kevin Harris is another guy in that room. We just don't know. Be careful about being too certain about a backfield that, again, we have never been able to be certain about. Also, did you see the uh, Stevenson lost seven pounds, Dwayne?
1: <laughs> yeah, he lost the water weight.
0: Dude, that's like first day of football practice. You go out there, you lose seven freaking pounds. You got to w- write your weight down. You're really I- concerned. I need a good
1: day of football practice right now. <laughs> Yes, there's seven pounds.
0: I see my weight jump up like five, six pounds. Like I feel like once you're over 200 pounds, man, like your weight can just go up like that much and down by the day seemingly, or I'm just, you know, incredibly unhealthy and need to watch my weight better. But (laughs) last thing with the Patriots, Devontae Parker, really flashing, looking like a dog, you know, just practice highlights. We'll, we'll see what happens. And I would guess that, you know, Devontae Parker is the type of receiver that should be absolutely crushing it in in practice and, you know, making all these highlight real plays. We'll see see if he ultimately makes it out there with the starters because Taquan Thornton doing his thing too and oh yeah Kendrick Bourne's getting Debo Samuel hype and of course Jacoby Myers is there as well as we talked about in our Patriots preview Dwayne possible very possible I might add that we ultimately see these wide receivers you know a four or five player rotation that kind of results in all of them being rather meh fantasy
1: Patriots more than any other team I think and some of this is due to the ambiguity because you can get these players late, but it's like everybody wants to put a stake in the ground, right? Yeah. Um, even though ADP is not suggesting it, right? They're all kind of close. But if you look at Twitter, it's very much like everybody's just going to have their Patriot take and run with it, right? Whether it's Parker, whether it's Jacoby Myers, I think the data still says Jacoby Myers is clearly the best option to have in the receiving game. Um, you know, and I'm going to stick with that. And there's enough good reports on you know him as well. But like, to your point, like the Kendrick Bourne, Debo Samuel role, like, it's just like whatever narrative you want to run with, um, you can find a tweet somewhere from a beat reporter to support <laughs> it. And so, back to your point, you have to be really careful and take in all the information because at the end of the day, really, we have tweets about all these things, which yeah. means if they're all true, then aren't they all just going to take away from one another? You know, I mean, so it's, it's, uh, I'm fine with taking later swings on some of these players. Look, we've seen Devontae Parker have a big season, we've seen Devontae Parker dominate some of the best corners in the league for a season. Um, the problem is he's never been able to be consistent, right? And he battles the injuries. So can can he recapture that magic from 2000? Was it 19 or 18, Ian? I think it was 2019 where he Post, really came out.
0: Post-Juju. That's what we call
1: 2019. <laughs> uh, AD-Juju. So instead of AD, it's post-Juju. <laughs> so a, AJJ? We're,
0: we're, we're going to workshop that. We'll come back. All right, New York oh, yeah, Jets. We'll New York Jets last AFC squad wondering about this backfield Dwayne as awesome as Brees Hall's athletic profile is he's not the only running back there you're curious what's going to happen with one Michael Carter
1: yeah so ultimately with Brees Hall love the profile I'm, I'm in on him I'm in on him in round four round five of fantasy football drafts and redraft that's where you can get him even in sharper leagues you can get Brees Hall right now in round four so, you know, he checks all the things we want from a college perspective. But at the end of the day, we have to always acknowledge that Michael Carter was really good as a receiving down back last year. And so the thing I'm looking at the most and trying to tease out from the reports, um, you know, in the Jets backfield is who has the passing down work? Is it something where both they're just going to rotate, you know, and it's going to be, well, maybe Brees. Because if they're rotating, my guess is Brees Hall probably gets, you know maybe three series, Michael Carter gets one, right? Or maybe it's, you know, three and a half series to one and a half series. And as long as they're both out there and they both get passing down work, um, Hall still gets carries inside the five and all those things. Brees Hall can can pay off his ADP. What we don't want to see, back to the narrative we talked about earlier with Damian uh, Pierce over in Houston, the Jets are not expected to win a lot of games. So if we were to catch wind, that Brees Hall will not have the passing down role because it is Michael Carter's and he's going to run the two minute offense. He's going to handle all the long down and distance work that would really hurt Brees Hall. Because now, again, we're an early down back who's potentially going to be playing in trailing scripts. Now, he can still come through with some big plays. Maybe the Jets, there's other outs, right? Maybe the Jets take a step forward as an offense. But we've got questions around, you know, Zach Wilson. So I think the easiest way to feel super confident, right, other than just his overall college profile for Brees Hall, is to just know, are we pretty sure, right, that he's got the passing down work, or at least that he's not going to be a limited Uh, eliminated in the passing down work. I'm fine if Carter still gets some of it if it's a rotation, but man, like that would be the, that would be the worst case scenario for Brees Hall is all of a sudden he's just the early down option on this offense that we have a lot of questions about.
0: At a minimum, it does seem like it's shrunk down to two backs. Last year, this was really more of a three headed committee with one of Tevin Coleman or Ty Johnson also factoring in. Still possible. Coleman's been on the NFI list to start camp. Carter actually didn't practice today with an ankle injury, although they've noticed it's not too serious. Also got third round tight end Jeremy Ruckert on the pup list. But yeah, man, Brees Hall is one of those guys where if Carter is healthy and we get, let's, you know, 12 first team snaps and Brees Hall plays 10 or 11 of them. Could be rising pretty fast because where he's going right now, you know, pretty much right there next to David Montgomery. Like I just could see Brees Hall, not that much good news away from leaping up, kind of more in that James Connor kind of side of things. I think just outside the top twelve running backs. So certainly still room to rise. You know, with Brees, man,
1: one one root. Honestly, even if we were to see in the first preseason game that Carter had the passing down role, but Brees Hall ripped off a long run, it wouldn't yeah. matter. Like the ADP will skyrocket. Like the guy will move potentially into like the, you know, by the time the Camara stuff, you know, kind of, well, we'll talk about that later. But like there's, he's just going to skyrocket, right? He probably end up being, you know, a mid to an early round third pick and you'll have some people even willing to be more aggressive on him.
0: If we get that Amir Abdullah, just one cut oh that God, he had. I'll never
1: forget that. <laughs>
0: Unbelievable. on Johnson had an unreal uh, run, too, against the Raiders, I remember, in a random preseason third quarter. All right, two more of these, everyone. Pittsburgh Steelers. Hey, we, we're not sure who's going to be under center. Tragically, it seems like it's more of a Trubisky-Rudolph competition. Right now, Kenny Pickett working with most of the threes. But, Dwayne, there's one thing Pittsburgh can do. I mean, they can do a lot of things, I guess. I'm no no way trying to slander that organization. But, my goodness, they know how to draft great wide receivers. Question is. Who exactly is going to be in two wide receiver sets?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, and that's the question I wrote last week. Um, If I were to rewrite this question now, I think the thing you brought up is huge. If Mason Rudolph somehow wins this, that would really worry me (laughs) based on what we've seen from Mason Rudolph. Yeah, It would also tell me that, okay, what if Mason Rudolph gets benched later in the season? We may not really have any outs here. We may not have an out with Trubisky. We may not have an out, you know, with Kenny Pickett, you know, Trubisky, we've talked about him in the past, not really great, but at least he has supported some okay stuff from, you know, from uh, Allen Robinson, you know, when he was with the bears, but wow. Like if, if we do see, you know, this situation play out that way, that would be very concerning to me, but yeah, writing this before that news came out um, it's just around who's going to play in the two wide looks because we've heard, rumors that maybe Claypool gets to play more from the slot but does that mean maybe he's not on the field when they're in three wide because we've had george pickens the rookie playing really well right and pickens is a guy that really did some nice things in the metrics we like to look they're at they're saying you know, he's
0: starting like starting from day one we're just not exact to your point we're not sure if claypool big slot and three wide receiver yeah. sets and back out into
1: yeah so but if we've got an offense that wants to be multiple which matt canada will You know, most likely, it seems like you would just want to run three wides with these receivers. But you know, we're not we're not coaches. They got to get Zach Gentry on the (laughs) field. I was just going to say that. (laughs) But you know, and they're going to want to try to run the ball, use play action. They want to be more efficient. They're not going to throw the ball as much. You know, this year, so it's a shrinking pie for everyone. But the receiver that gets to stay out there whenever you're in the two wide receiver sets, if you're going to use 12 personnel and some of these other things, right? They just, you just got more outs to score fantasy points because you're on the field. So there's a chance that could be Pickens, you know, over Claypool. I, I'm, I feel pretty good about where Deontay Johnson is. He seems, you know, to be okay, but we would probably need to monitor his name as well, Ian. Um So I think it's just a situation that we have to look at. And again, like the other thing that, that could happen easily is that it's just a rotation across all three guys, right. Whenever they're playing out of these different formations besides 11 personnel. So I think it's actually a pretty big story, you know, to, to monitor, especially if we were to think Deontay Johnson was in some sort of a, you know, committee, because we've already talked about the concerns with Johnson. That goes back to the quarterback as well. And what, and and he's been a great player, but the ADP, you've got to spend a fourth round pick to get Deontay. So at least with Claypool, you're like, okay, I'll throw a 10th or 11th. It's not going to kill you. If you miss George Pickens, Another name moving up massively, you know, up to fantasy draft boards, you know, so he has, I think, moved up three rounds maybe since these training camp reports. Now, he's still not an expensive player. You can get him like round 13, 14 of sharper drafts, home leagues, probably still going undrafted. But at the end of the day, like Pickens isn't going to kill you, right, if you get that situation wrong. But Deontay Johnson, on the other hand, like, I think we definitely need to take note.
0: Deontay, one of a few players participating in this new phenomenon, holding in, where you go you go to training camp, but you know, you're just there. You're not going to, not going to practice. I think he has been doing some stuff off the side, like during practice, but it's just hilarious, Dwayne, to me. Like you show up, it'd be like showing up to school and just like sitting in the corner. Like, I, Hey, I'm here. Mark me down as yes, but I am not doing whatever the hell you are trying to We had to that
1: in my right school. it's called in-school suspension, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: But this is like, this would be like if it was benefiting the student. Like, I, I, I don't know. So.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: Also, Calvin Austin, all hundred, you know, 60 pounds of him soaking wet, apparently flashing every single day with that speed, exactly the type of player that you would expect to be flashing, you know, before the pads come on, but to his credit, maybe he continues doing so with that going on, NBC sports, Peter King did report that Trubisky has quote unquote, basically been told the job is his to lose. So to your point, Dwayne would be especially concerning uh, for Rudolph to still find a way to win there. I know many have been quick to say like, watch big Ben last year. How could anybody be worse? Hey, it's Mason Rudolph, Mr. Trubisky, man. As we said, you know, why the hell is it between Muhammad and McLovin? That's kind of what we're looking at here. Uh, final point though, amidst all the George Pickens hype and Hey, I, I saw the round, man. He looks smooth as hell out there. And we talked about him being this potential alpha in the second, third round that if he had just been healthy for his last year at Georgia could have easily been a day one pick. I will say the freaking picture that got like nine, 10,000 likes on Twitter. He dropped that pass. Like this is training camp where a cool picture of someone dropping a pass goes viral. And also I did pick up in one of these, just many articles I was scanning through. He was getting apparently yelled at for just not, doing well in a blocking drawer throughout a practice not blocking well so hey maybe it was one freaking drill one thing the beat reporter hurt, hurt and we'll never hear about it again but if we're trying to figure out who's going to be on the field full-time Dwayne this becomes you know a constant issue you know remember this moment or it was nothing and I'll just you know I won't take the blame for it so great position <laughs> for me to be in there final one here Tennessee Titans I feel like we're already on the right side of things here Dwayne it's it's, it's August we can't We're not big victory lap people to begin with, but the Julio, the Will Fuller situations, there are times where we know the ADP is going to move. And when we do so many best ball drafts, we're trying to take advantage of that fading. Some of the early off season trail on noise. I think we can already say that was a win.
1: Yeah. It really sounds at this point, like he is going to have a starting role. Um, So, and and again, ADP is just great here Um, with a guy like Burks, you know, because of the asthma slash workout, issues his ADP got pushed down after minicamp like he was creeping into the six rounds of some fantasy drafts which was a bit rich and now he goes in round eight you know sometimes he goes in round nine so and again those are in sharper drafts in your home leagues you know he's going to go round 10 or 11 so I just love the price tag we're getting I get it it is a run heavy offense um you know and if you look at it you know people immediately like if you say anything about trailing burks is so funny they'll be well, what did aj brown really ever do and you're like dude like if you looked at the game logs for aj brown like when healthy like how many points he put up and we're not saying he's aj brown but the point being in a heavy play action offense that wants to be built after efficiency these yak guys they can do well and so burks The main question for Burks is, can he beat this outside coverage? You know, because he did get used in the slot, got used in the backfield a lot in college, and some people immediately say that, well, that's because Traylon Burks isn't any good. And you and I have talked about it. Like, it is a question. Like, is Burks just really more of a gadget player? We can't be for sure. But at the same time, like, you guys can't put that on him. Like, what if it's because the Arkansas quarterbacks were terrible, which they pretty much were, and they're just trying to give someone an easy way to make a completion to the best player on their team When you got to play in the SEC, like that's also in the range of outcomes for Burke. So when I look at him, I'm with you. I think we've already basically heard enough that he's going to be out there. He's most likely going to be a starter alongside Robert Woods. And he gives us that big play upside. You can get him later in drafts. We'll continue to monitor it, but it does sound like he's going to have a starting role.
0: That's before we just completely wrap things up. Sky Moore says he's okay. So that's great news. Hopefully, you know, he's just... Perfectly. Okay. He's back out there tomorrow. All we have is him giving an I'm okay with a thumbs up emoji on Instagram. Sounds like he's 100% to me, Dwayne, but we'll see. Obviously, we'll be back with an NFC version of this podcast. Also getting together, hopefully tonight, assuming the drafts fill, but I don't think we're going to have too many more problems with that, Dwayne, as we get closer to week one, going to be recording another football guys championship, trying to bring home that 500k. Again, Dwayne, people can find your AFC, NFC, main training camp storyline questions over at PFF.com. What else do you have coming out this week?
1: Uh, Yeah, already released today the top 10 players that could smash your league, basically once you get past round seven in your drafts. And so, again, not focusing on these earlier round, but truly trying to isolate down on, you know, what we think the top 10 options can be. And it's across all the different positions. And then tomorrow we'll have the opposite. So if we're looking at round seven and later, um, you know, for those players that could hit, we're going to look at the rounds one through six to just talk about who are the players that you should probably be avoiding in that range based on their ADP and some of the other data right now.
0: I had a couple studies go up this week, which teams are most willing to use a workhorse running back, basically looking at every play caller and just the percentage of games that they've given a single running back, 90%, 75%, 60% of the workload Pittsburgh the Rams. Shout out maybe Cam Akers. We're going to talk a little bit more about him and Daryl Henderson in the next podcast. There are some good takeaways there. Also went ahead and looked at the history of teams enabling multiple great running backs and wide receivers in the same offense. Something that you know we like to talk about and we have many of them ranked that way, but wanted to actually put into context how often it happens, how many groups were expecting it to happen in 2022, maybe who could be over-undervalued accordingly. So Make sure you guys check that out, pff.com. And of course, Dwayne and I will be back Throughout the entire off season and season, just barking, having a good time. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.